Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. Hey, when you're done listening to this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free app. From there, you can find all of our recent message content. Our app is actually the best place to keep up with everything going on at Hope. If you like what you hear today, we encourage you to share this with your friends or family. Enjoy. Well, Hope, it is so great to be with you this week, whether you're here with us in person, whether you're checking us out online or just moving down the road. We are in a series right now that we're calling Cryptic Currency, and we're doing that because of the obvious tensions that so many of us deal with as it relates to the resources that we have in our lives or maybe the resources we don't have in our lives, and specifically as it relates to our finances. And this week, I want you to know I could not be more excited uh, for who you're going to hear from. Twelve years ago, I came back on staff here at Hope, and I met this young man, and I, and I thought a few things. Number one, I thought, this guy is incredibly smart, um, and I'm a little uncomfortable because he's probably smarter than most of us around here. Number one. Number two, I thought, this guy has a very uh, unique sense of humor, all right, which you're going to pick up on in just a bit. But more than anything, what I learned over time is this guy has a love for the Lord, And he has a heart for his word and applying it to his life that you don't find in many people, or at least I haven't in my life. And then more than that, what I learned is he has this passion and this untying passion in his life to help people understand how to use the resources that God has given to them in their life to not only bring God glory, but really to bring peace to them in their lives. All right, and so you're in for a treat. I can't wait for you to hear from him. Uh, Derek Sisterhand has come... uh, He started out on staff, and you'll hear this from him, but he came on board here as our stewardship director, but over the years, he's gained some responsibilities, and right now, he actually sits on our leadership team, essentially as our CFO, our executive director of finance and operations. He and I have walked alongside of each other for over a decade now, and uh, I'll tell you, Hope, over the last decade, man, we've been through some stuff, all right? We've got some stories uh, to tell, but outside of just the blessing and favor of God, um, I can tell you that this man is as responsible as any man for Hope Community Church still having the impact that it does as a church in your life, in our community, and in our world. And so if you would, would you please give a huge hope welcome to my friend, to one of your servant leaders, Mr. Derek Sisterhen. Can I just say that I am supremely enthused to be with you all this weekend. Uh, We are talking about something that I happen to love, which is how do we practically apply what the Bible says about money to our lives. Uh, When I joined staff uh, here at Hope in 2010 to launch the stewardship ministry, it was to help the people of Hope practically apply what the Bible says about money to their lives. And it's been incredible to see over the years what has happened as a result of that. Hundreds and hundreds of the households that make up hope have experienced paradigm shifts in their finances. We've seen millions of dollars of debt paid off. People have saved money. Uh, We've seen uh, people giving for the very first time, experiencing the joy of giving. Married couples where money is a source of conflict for them, it turns into an opportunity for unity. And we've seen singles where they might have this insecurity around how they handle their finances. It becomes 
a, a place of confidence for them. So it's been awesome to be a part of that. And for the last 10 years, I've also served in oversight of Hope's finances. Same biblical financial principles, just a bigger household budget. Before I came on staff at Hope, I studied finance in college and I went to work in banking and I thought that that was the career path for me. But as God does, uh, he started to redirect my steps. I had this growing passion for personal finance and I just wanted to help people that were stuck. And so I ended up leaving banking and I, I became a financial consultant and I had no idea what to expect. In two years time, I worked with over 300 singles and couples, and I saw everything. Everything from those newlywed couples with two incomes overbuying their first house because they wanted to match their parents' same standard of living. We had medical professionals with increasing income and also a, mount, a mountain range of student loan debt. Imagine sitting across the table from a single parent trying to build a backup plan to cover the bare necessities because they were not very confident the child support check was coming through. So I saw everything. And I remember one of my clients with embarrassment in his voice said, I'm managing a multi-million dollar project at work and yet I can't even handle my own paycheck. Now all these people were capable of doing the math, right? But something, something was going on here. They were still struggling. Something was going on. Now, let's take a look at a few stats here. I love stats. At the end of 2022, 63% of Americans said that they were living paycheck to paycheck. That's, that's like two out of three, right? And you might be thinking, well, that is because things have been crazy for the last few years. Inflation's been running rampant. It's, it's been crazy. Well, for comparison, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away called 2019, it was 59%. So despite all that's happened over the last few years, there is really not that much difference for most people's financial position. How about this one? Last year, 45% of households earning over $100,000 said that they were living paycheck to paycheck. That's like half. So apparently, just earning more money doesn't necessarily solve the problem. Now, here's something you can do in your own time. I want you to Google hedonic treadmill and you are un you'll understand the reason why. Uh, and you'll also have a fun little conversation starter for your next dinner party. You're welcome. <laughs> Lastly, 73% of households say that they don't regularly budget or have a plan for their spending. So something's going on here and it's not just math. Now, as with so many facets of life, how we, what we believe about money determines how we behave with it, and how we behave with it produces the set of results that we live with. So our beliefs determine our behaviors, our behaviors determine our results. So if we want to get to the root of what's going on in your financial world, if we want to understand why you do what you do with money, then we need to understand what you believe about money and God and yourself. Let me show you what I mean by that. For the parents that just can't say no to their children and they're not helping them set healthy spending boundaries, what's going on there? For the single person that's overspending on entertainment, overspending on meals out with friends, knowing that they don't have the money, what's rooted in that belief system? 
What about the person who's constantly pushing money into savings? They're watching the account balances grow, and yet they're still anxious that there won't be enough. Why is that? Now, in each of these cases, I think we all would agree that there's a flaw in the belief system. And our beliefs about money, they start forming early when we're growing up. It's, it's what you watched your parents do. Maybe you saw them do things well or you saw them do things poorly. Maybe you didn't see them do anything at all. Maybe they didn't know what they were doing. All of this influences what you believe about money. And then there's, of course, what you've experienced since. You know, maybe you've taken classes in school. There are things that you've read or you've heard. Maybe you've watched people that you care about go through particular situations and that has influenced what you think and believe about money. Well, we learned last week that God owns everything and we are the managers or we are the stewards of what he's given to us. And this is actually a fundamental belief for a steward, that God owns it all. And what we're gonna do today is dig deeper into two more truths that stewards believe. So, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew 6. We're gonna be dropping in midway through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. Now, he has been talking to the folks out there about how to pray, how to overcome temptation, dealing with conflict, that they're going to be salt and light in the world. He's basically painting for them a brand new worldview. He's painting for them a new belief system. And then Jesus decides to start talking about money. Now, it's worth noting that Jesus talked a lot about money, and I mean a lot, a lot about money. If churches preached on money with the same frequency that Jesus talked about money in the Gospels, there would be a sermon on money every three weeks. I think the amount of time that Jesus spent talking about money and our, let's be honest, our resistance to hearing a message about it, I think it's related. He knows we need to hear it even if we don't want to. So Jesus is talking about money, and what he told the people then is just as relevant to us here in the 21st century. So let's pick it up, Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So if we're going to behave as stewards, there are two truths that are fundamental to a steward's beliefs. Here's truth number one. Our money and our possessions have a destination. Okay, Jesus says there are treasures that can accumulate on earth. There are treasures that will accumulate in heaven. Now, I think we all, we're we're rational people. I think we all get it. We can't take our stuff with us. We can't take our money with us when we die. The Egyptians built massive pyramids to store uh, possessions and wealth for their kings because they thought the kings were going to take it with them into the afterlife. And what happened? Well, they left it all behind. And people like you and me, we pay money to go see it in museums. It kind of makes me wonder if a thousand years from now, if people will pay money to see a bunch of Pelotons. (laughs) In this exhibit, you'll see what the ancient people used to hold all their laundry. That's... I like the way, I like the way Randy Alcorn thinks about this in his book, The Treasure Principle. He says, suppose you live in America 
but you're visiting a foreign country for three months and you're living in a hotel. You're told you can't bring anything back with you on your flight home, but you can earn money abroad and you can send deposits home. Would you fill your hotel room with a whole bunch of expensive stuff? Probably not. You'd spend money only on what you needed and you would send your treasures ahead so they'd be waiting for you when you got home. Look, if you've placed your trust in what Jesus did on the cross for you and you have a relationship with him, you have a destination in heaven too. And Jesus is telling us here, don't be short-sighted. Don't miss the opportunity that exists to make an eternal difference with the resources that you have. Here's truth number two. Our money and our possessions reveal allegiance. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what's important to us is where the money goes. And where the money goes, that must be important to us. Money reveals so much about what and who we value. And earlier we said something else is going on. There's more to it than just math. This is it because our hearts are involved in the equation. Now, I think it's interesting here. Uh, Jesus says you can't serve God and money. I'm a simple person. It seems like it should say you can't serve God and the devil. Like you can't serve good and evil or light versus dark. It seems like it should be that comparison. But he says you can't serve God and money. I don't think anyone would say, I serve money. But that's the end game when we try to serve ourselves. We believe we know what's best and we'll take it from here. Thank you very much. We're going to go build our own kingdom. But Jesus is calling money a master here. We think we'll make it serve us, but we wind up servant to it. Listen to these words that Paul wrote to Timothy. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, we're stressed and we're anxious over money. The people living paycheck to paycheck and the people piling up mountains of wealth, discontent, dissatisfied, convinced that if we just had a little bit more, it would all be better. And marriages are lost in this pursuit. Relationships with children are strained and warped by materialism. When money is the master, we are set up for disappointment and for pain. And at this point, I've worked with enough people on their finances to learn a number of lessons, but one in particular, there's never enough. There's never enough. The abundant life that Jesus wants to give us is not found in more stuff. It's found in what we do with what we already have. So it's time to get practical. Let's get really practical, practical here. What does the Bible say about the behaviors of a good steward? Let's go to Proverbs. Proverbs 27, 23. It says, be sure to know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. Now, Solomon wrote this at a time when you could look outside and see your bank account walking around on the hills, okay? You would want to be upwind of this bank account. Now, a good shepherd would not just hope haphazardly that everything worked out for the flock. A good shepherd would know what's going on with the sheep. A good shepherd would care about the future of the sheep, care about continuing to take care of the sheep. This is no different for us today with our finances. 
Now we're going to do a little exercise here because I know for a lot of you, this whole shepherding thing, like the closest you've ever come is your last petting zoo experience. So uh, let's, let's do this. I want you all to close your eyes. Close your eyes. I want you to close your eyes. Don't worry, no one's going to look through your stuff. So whether you're at a Hope campus this weekend or you're joining us online, close your eyes. I want you to imagine that you have to get from where you're currently seated to your car without opening your eyes. If you're at a campus, you know that you've got to first get yourself out of the row that you're seated in. If you're at home, you might have to contend with that coffee table with the really sharp corners. Keep your eyes closed. Imagine how treacherous this would be. Totally in the dark. Imagine the damage you could cause yourself. Maybe the damage you would cause to some others. And yet this is how so many of us are living financially. The money comes in, the money goes out. But if I asked you, where have you spent money? What, what have you spent it on over the last few days? Do you think you could tell me? You can open your eyes now, by the way. <laughs> you need visibility into where the money is going. Without it, you can't know the state of your finances and you can't care about the future state of your finances. So here's a step each of us can take this week. Write down every dollar that you spent. Track your spending, where and how much. And let's generate some financial visibility. Let's see what you learn. In my experience working with people on their finances, most really don't know where the money is going. But when you do know where it's going, then you can have a plan for where it will go. And this is really where the Bible gets quite straightforward for us on how to prioritize our financial lives. It doesn't really matter if you have a lot to steward or if you have a little to steward. This applies in every situation. So how does a steward prioritize? Well, I'm glad you asked. You give, save, and you live on the rest. Give, save, live on the rest. Now, to unpack this, we're going to popcorn our way through a few of those 2,350 verses that deal with money and possessions. It'll be a little appetizer for you, a little amuse-bouche. Anybody getting hungry? <laughs> giving. A steward actually believes that giving is good and it is the top priority. And a steward will manage their savings and their living to be able to give. Now, God talks an awful lot about giving all throughout Scripture. And really, it's because he is the prime, capital P, giver. It's integral to his character. Think, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? Giving is selfless. Giving is an antidote to greed. It's an antidote to selfishness. It's also a lot of fun. I've never met anyone who said, you know, I tried giving and nope, it's not for me. I'm going to give less and help fewer people. I've never met anybody who said that. You can probably think right now, though, of people in your life that you would say are generous. Generous people are happy. They're content. They're enthusiastic, aren't they? It's because they're living out who God designed us to be. Proverbs 3.9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. 
Now Solomon, again, he's writing in an agrarian economic context. We had our flocks, we had our herds, now we have our crops. And this term first fruits is a very important one. It's one we could actually probably spend a whole sermon on. But for today, let me ask you this. Do you give from the first of your resources or do you give from the last? Do you give right away when you receive or do you give if there's anything left over? If we don't prioritize giving, the rest of our expenses are going to take over. They're going to crowd it out. But when we do prioritize giving, we're honoring God and we're ensuring that it's actually going to happen. Now, personally, giving was not always very easy for me. Actually, I should say it this way. Not giving was very easy for me. I was skeptical about how churches handled their money. I was also, whenever somebody would say we need a ministry to be funded, I would think someone else will take care of that. I had a plan for my money, and it was to accumulate it, invest it, accumulate some more, retire early, eat, drink, and be merry. Interestingly enough, Jesus tells a story in Luke 12 about a guy that had the exact same plan. And that guy ends up being called a fool, and it does not end very well for him. So, of course, I met and married a very generous woman because God has a sense of humor. And she challenged that resistance that I had to giving. And it was an awful resistance. I wanted Jesus to save me from my sins for all of eternity, but I didn't really want him involved in every aspect of my daily life. Martin Luther once said this, there are three conversions necessary for the Christian life, the conversion of the heart, the mind, and the purse. Now, I didn't set out to serve money, but I had to admit that I was trying to build my own kingdom and I got mastered by it. But a lifestyle of generosity isn't about face to that. It's actually a way that God can shape our character to be more like his. I've learned to value giving. I've learned to value giving in support of spreading the gospel in a way that I didn't before. That stuff actually gets me excited now. I mean, it matters to God that people would come to know him through Jesus. And so, frankly, people actually matter more to me now. So God has actually changed me through giving. And I have this promise that one day I'm going to meet people who started a relationship with Jesus because of the work of hope and other ministries that my wife and I support. I think that's pretty cool. And, of course, in God's humor, I'm an oversight of hope's finances. And you better believe that they're stewarded well. You can email me. We'll do coffee and some audited financial statements sometime. All right. Now we got to save, saving money. Saving money means we've got to think beyond this moment. And when you read scripture, you find that saving is linked with wisdom and the opposite, not saving, is linked with foolishness. This is very succinctly put in Proverbs 21, 20. It says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. Now I have some Italian roots. I married an Italian girl we know the value of some choice olive oil, okay? And when Solomon is writing this, though, this is his way of saying that wise people store up valuable resources for the future. Now, in another translation, it says, a fool devours all he has, almost like there's a complete disregard for the days ahead. 
If we've got it right now, we are going to fully consume it. But saving requires discipline. Saving requires restraint. It requires patience. It requires thinking of your future self. And there are really three reasons why we save. We save for emergencies. We save for future non-monthly expenses. And we save for our long-term needs and think retirement here. So we all know that emergencies happen. You need to have a rainy day fund. But right now, six out of 10 households say that they cannot pay from savings an unexpected expense of $500. So what happens? That unexpected expense goes on a credit card. And we are in a rising interest rate environment right now. So we have to view emergency savings like debt insurance. All right, then there are the expenses that happen throughout the year or every few years, but don't really happen monthly. Think about vacations, think about back to school shopping, think about the extracurricular activities and registrations that you have for your kids, insurance, Christmas. Hey, Christmas. Friends, Christmas is in December again this year. <laughs> Do not let it sneak up on you. The best time to prepare for Christmas is right now. Home maintenance, vehicle maintenance. Now, see, I've got kids, which means I have a minivan. And we do not have time for me to get into minivans the way that I really want to. But suffice to say that if the Lord blesses you with such a versatile transportation method, part of your stewardship is taking care of it. So I set aside some money every single month to make sure that the ongoing costs of maintaining the minivan are covered. And you too, you can, pri you can prepay those non-monthly expen expenses that you would have into a savings account so the money is there when you need it. And this ends up being one of the most revealing exercises for the people that go through Hope's financial coaching program because they realize, oh, I had no idea how much money I was spending throughout the year that just doesn't happen monthly. Okay, now what about long-term needs? Well, I studied modern portfolio theory in college and if you took what Solomon said about investing and diversification in Ecclesiastes 11 and you, you throw a spreadsheet with some cool formulas on it, you're there. And then Paul also wrote in 1 Timothy 5 the importance of taking care financially of the long-term needs of your family. So it's all in there. Saving is a priority when you're a steward. And you have to save before you spend the money on living because if you don't, it won't happen. Oh, but wait, there's more. When you give and save before you live, you build something in that we call a margin. And a margin is a good, good thing. You want a margin in your life. Why do you want a margin in your life? Well, first, you're living on less than you make. Now you can absorb the things that come and go as life unfolds, right? The changes that happen. And you have the flexibility to respond as God leads you because you've got a margin. All right, let's talk about living. Luke 12, 15 says this, Then he, and this is Jesus, said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. You must set your lifestyle or else someone else is going to set it for you. There are just too many influences and pressures swirling around us. That choice is going to be made. 
Now, I know that there are many here that would love to give and save more, but right now, your world looks like this. And maybe there's a little bit down here every now and again that we can save, and every so often, something left over to give. For some of you, it's the increasing cost of the basics, the gas, the groceries. It's been really difficult to absorb. In times like these, they require taking a hard look at your spending. My wife and I, we are doing it right now too. It's wise to reevaluate when the circumstances change. But for some of you, you've built a lifestyle that virtually doesn't allow forgiving or saving. You might be stuck making payments on something that you bought a while ago. Maybe it was a car. Maybe it was something for the house. Maybe it was a bunch of random stuff that adds up and builds up on credit cards. I do think it's important to note that the Bible warns in Proverbs 22.7 that the borrower is slave to the lender. The average car payment on a new vehicle in 2022, $700 a month. The average lease payment in 2022, nearly $600 a month. I don't know any other way to say it than this. Some of you are literally driving around in your ability to give and save. There's something else going on, though. Several years ago, a couple came through our, one of our stewardship ministry classes, and uh, at the end, the wife shared this realization that has been stuck with me. She said, it's easy to confuse what you can afford with what you should have. I'm going to say that one more time. It's easy to confuse what you can afford with what you should have. <laughs> How many times do we convince ourselves that if we just had that fill in the blank, we've got the money for it, we're going to enjoy it, how many times do we convince ourselves that it's going to be satisfying? How many times do we think of just getting that fill in the blank, whatever it is in your mind, and we don't consider if the relationship with it is actually going to be a healthy one? I guess what I'm asking is how many times do we convince ourselves the exact opposite of what Jesus said, that maybe life does consist in the abundance of possessions? I want to tell you a story about a family I knew that had a boat. Uh, before I do, I want you to know I am a boat guy, okay? I grew up boating. I married into a family of sailors, not like pirates. They're like people who sail, okay? <laughs> I love being on the water, and I have learned over the years that the very best boat is one someone else owns. <laughs> now, you need to always have a boat joke at the ready, okay? So here's a good boat joke. What do you call a hole in the water that you throw a bunch of money into? See, that's a good joke. And the boat owners know it. The boat owners know it. In fact, if you're a boat owner, one of the scariest things that you can do is go calculate your cost per hour of use. I'm telling you, be careful, because it will make you seasick. Okay, that's what we call a bad boat joke. But I do think that it explains the rise in popularity of paddleboarding, very low cost <laughs> per hour of use. Those are financially savvy water enthusiasts. 
All right, back to the story, back to the story. I knew a couple with a boat, and the boat was a major source of tension for them. It turned out that the husband bought the boat without agreement from his wife. In his mind, it represented freedom, it represented an active lifestyle, and it represented status. So he bought the boat. Of course, for his wife, it became a symbol of distrust, disunity, disrespect, lack of intimacy in the marriage. By the time I entered the conversation, the boat was several years old. It actually needed some repairs. They didn't use it very often. But the strife and the tension and the stress in their marriage over that was right there. It was fresh. When we consider how we manage the money that we live on, we have to be honest with ourselves that not everything that we can afford is actually healthy for us to have because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Now, you might not have a boat, but is there a boat in your life right now? Hey, listen, if you've heard all this and you thought, uh, my money's actually a mess. It doesn't look anything like what we talked about today. It doesn't look like this. I want you to know that the Hope Stewardship Ministry team is here to help you. And they're not going to judge you because most of those folks, most of our coaches, they've walked their own road. They've experienced their own journey applying what the Bible says about money to their lives. Head over to gethope.net slash stewardship for more. If you're trying to get on track with a spending plan, if you're looking to eliminate debt, maybe you just want to have some higher level of confidence in how you handle your money. We do actually have some classes starting in the next week. They're pretty close to full. But if you reach out to us, we will get you connected with a coach. Don't you worry about that. We'll make it happen. If you're somebody who loves stewardship and you know who you are, you know who you are. You heard me make that comment about $700 a month car payments and you're going to go home and you're going to run a future value calculation on if I invested that over the next 20 years, what would that be worth? I know you. You are my people. <laughs> go visit the, the stewardship page. Let us know who you are. There are families in this church that would benefit so much from your passion and your experience. They just want a guide that can walk with them and you could be an incredible part of serving them. There's one other group here that I want to talk to and it's the group that lives with a level of extra in your finances that might actually be covering over poor stewardship of what God has given you. I want to challenge you to do an audit this week. Where's the money going? Are you giving relative to your saving and living? You need to take stock and see if there's room to grow. When we prioritize our finances, when we give, save, and live on the rest, we live generous, wise, generous and wise lives that don't consist in the abundance of possessions but their lives of purpose and their lives of impact. My prayer is that we'll all enjoy what Paul wrote about to Timothy. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. We've heard that before. As a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love that finish. That we all may take hold of the life that's truly life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for charting a course for us to take hold of a life of meaning through your son, Jesus. Uh, We try to serve money and we wind up trapped by it. When we try to serve you, we enjoy freedom, we enjoy contentment, we have a hope, we have a future. So thank you for your grace and your faithfulness to us. If changes need to be made, Lord, just help us to have the courage and the humility to make them. And regardless of our financial situation, help us to be honest about our allegiance. Who's actually in charge here? As David prayed, let this be our prayer too. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Amen and amen. God bless you, church. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.